Welcome to Get a Grip Podcast. This is your host, Corey Grip. Happy Thursday. Uh, it's great to be getting back into a routine of doing this. Uh, my mock draft was terrible. Um, it's okay. Most people's mock drafts are terrible. I think I got the first, like, four of the first five right. I think the rest of the draft, I didn't get a single pick right. It's so hard with those mock drafts because, you know, with trades – it screws up everybody's board. It's it screws up everyone's mock draft. Like you can't project, you can't project or predict who's gonna trade with who. Um, you know, um, I I don't even know why people waste their time putting trades in NFL mock drafts because you're you're not gonna get it right. Um, speaking of the draft, I got some winners and losers today. Um, I thought some teams had great drafts. You know, and then yeah, I think the teams that don't get talked about a lot, we always focus on the winners and the losers, but I, I think there were a lot of teams that had solid drafts, but maybe they didn't have the flashy names or the sexy picks. Um, I'll talk about my winners and losers. I first wanted to start with my Pittsburgh Steelers. I thought they had a good draft. Um, you know, they weren't one of my biggest winners. Um, but, you know, you know, Kenny Pickett, I, I didn't love the pick. I think he's average. Um, I watched him a couple times at Pitt last year. And I watched a few Pitt games before last year. He never was really like this guy that just was incredible, right? I mean, he had a great year last year, right? I mean, best player in the ACC, um, you know, led Pitt to an ACC championship and New Year's Six Bowl game. I mean, that's something to uh, applaud. I mean, that's a that's a great effort, but... You know, when I watch Pickett play, you know, with the direction the NFL is going now with all these elite quarterbacks and the league's all offensive now, I mean, between Mahomes and Josh Allen, Herbert, um, Russell Wilson, Rodgers, Brady's still around, um, you know, Matt Ryan's now in the AFC, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Derek Carr. I mean, all these guys are elite to very good above average starters. And you can throw Dak in there, Kirk Cousins. To me, Kenny Pickett, at best case scenario, maybe he's like a Kirk Cousins or a Derek Carr. But you're not winning with that. I mean, I've been saying it for years. Kirk Cousins is the definition of average. He'll win games, he'll put up big numbers, and he'll even get you to the playoffs every two or three years. But in these big, in the big moments on the Sunday night, Monday night games, Thursday night games, Kirk Cousins will win one out of every, you know, few. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll be bad in a lot of those. I don't know what Kenny Pickett's made of. He had some big games last year. Uh, he balled out against Clemson, uh, North Carolina, uh, a couple of the better team, Tennessee, a couple of the be- better teams on their schedule. And then obviously had a great ACC championship game against Wake Forest, but you know, I just think he's at best case scenario, he's above average. That's not winning you anything in the NFL. Like if you're a, you got to have a star quarterback to win. It's no coincidence that if you look at, you know, the past 10 Super Bowl champions, almost every single one of them had a star quarterback or a quarterback that got incredibly hot in the postseason in Joe Flacco and Nick Foles. But if you look at the other starters, Ross, now, at that point, Russ isn't what he is now, but he played well, and they had a great team around him. But those days are gone. You know, you had Brady, you had Eli Manning, who got crazy hot, Mahomes, 
um, Matt Stafford, right? I mean, you know, Peyton Manning. I think the days of Peyton Manning is just over. Like you can't win with defense anymore. Like it's it's great to have a good defense, but you can't. The Broncos carry the defense of Denver carried them to a Super Bowl Fifty win over the Panthers. Uh, so like I said, I just don't think Pickett's great, but I did love the other few picks they had. Uh, I thought George Pickens was a great pick for the Steelers. You know, the Steelers have a great track record with drafting wide receivers, especially in the second round. Because if you look at all the guys they've gotten in the second round over the years, uh, Mike Wallace, um, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, James Washington, Marcus Wheaton, um, and now George Pickens, a lot of those guys weren't stars, but they were really good starters and the, and their system and they succeeded. And, um, you know, when they left, they weren't the same. Um, so, I, you know, Juju, right. I mean, so I think George Pickens could have been a first round pick, but you know, I'm a big Georgia football fan. He didn't play at all last year. The one thing I'll say about George Pickens, he showed me a lot about his character. He tore his ACL in March, um, of 2021 and he battled, he attacked his rehab with relentless effort. He made it back for the end of the season, only had four catches, but I think that speaks a lot to his character and his love for the game and his love for his teammates. Um, I think he could have been, like I said, I think he could have been a first round pick if he was healthy. I, when I look at some of the receivers that were drafted ahead of him, I really only think a couple of them were, are truly better than him. Um, I thought, you know, he's a good, he's, he's a great guy to throw the ball down the field to. He runs really well. Um, pretty good route runner. Could definitely use some improvement there, but I really like the pick. And then, um, you know, I thought uh, DeAndre Leal, um, Steelers third-round pick, he was projected to be a potential first-round pick going into last college football season out of Texas A&M. But he, he – I don't know. Like he just, I guess he just had a down year, even though he had, you know, eight-and-a-half sacks, 12-and-a-half tackles for loss. That's pretty good. A little on the shorter side for a defensive tackle – but I think he has the versatility that the Steelers are looking for among their defensive linemen, along with Cameron Hayward, Stephon Tuitt. Their defensive line is getting old, and I did, uh, and they had one of the worst rushing defenses in the league. So getting a younger defensive line that could be, you know, a future starter, I think is a great pick. A pickup in the in the third round. And then the Steelers got a receiver from Memphis. Guys, mega quick, ran a four three forty. You know, the Steelers needed help at wide receiver. I mean, their depth after this offseason was was looking was dwindling. Uh James Washington signed with Dallas. Juju went to Kansas City. Uh so yeah, like I said, I, I think drafting a couple wide receivers, a young defensive lineman, a quarterback, I think they really address all the areas of need. Um and then, you know, Cameron Hayward's brother Connor. I they can use him on offense and special teams as an H back, tight end, running back. Overall, I like the Steelers draft. I just didn't think it was one of my top five winners. And I'll start with my number one winner, Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they had a, they had a home run, home run draft. Um, Kyle Hamilton was one of my top five players. He reminds me of Micah Parsons from last year's draft in that he was a top five player, uh, but he slid. He slid down the board because people looked at, you know, in Micah Parsons' case, you know, there were like four quarterbacks taken above him. In the case of Kyle Hamilton, I think the safety position is so devalued and looked at as not important in today's game, along with running back and inside linebacker, I guess. Um, 
But, you know, the Ravens got a steal here. Uh, the Ravens gave up the most passing yards in the league last year, third most passing touchdowns, and they were bottom 10 in interceptions. Another key stat, and I don't know if this is going to change with Baltimore changing defense coordinators. Um, Wink Martindale is out. In comes Mike McDonald. Ravens, in the last, like, 5, 10 years, they've been one of the top 5, 10 teams in blitz percentage if they if that trend continues, even if it's a, a slight you know downward trend in blitz percentage, um, and they gave up the fourth most yards after catch, having a last season, having a guy like Kyle, Kyle Hamilton that can take a lot of things away over the top, along with coming down into the box near the line of scrimmage and covering linebackers and running backs out of the backfield, making tackles. This guy just makes plays. Um, he doesn't miss a lot of tackles. He's all over the field extremely versatile and with Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters coming back and joining that healthy secondary. I mean, the Ravens might once again have the best secondary in the league. Um, Tyler Linderbaum, best center in the draft. The Ravens had the third best rushing offense last year, over 145 yards a game. And they lost their starting center, starting center, Bradley Bozeman to the Panthers. Uh, I think Linderbaum was a steal again, center, not the sexy pick, but you know, I, I thought, I thought it was a great pick for the Ravens. They love to run the football. Uh, this guy's a road grader, an absolute athlete. Uh, he's got a mean streak. He's going to add a lot of toughness to the Ravens' offensive line, which have struggled the past couple years with injuries and guys leaving. Um, David Ajabo, I thought that was a, a, a steal for the Ravens. This guy would have been a first-round pick. He tore his Achilles at the, his Michigan Pro Day. Um, but, you know, he really came up big in his biggest games last year for Michigan. Um Seven and a half of his 11 sacks came in games against Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, and Wisconsin. Uh, guy's super raw, but his former college defensive coordinator is now the Ravens defensive coordinator. It's a redshirt year. This is a this is a pick that, you know, they're going to – this is a pick for the future. But it was a great pick in the second round. Daniel Falela, uh, 6'8", 340 pounds, uh, raw right tackle out of Minnesota. Um, you know, Morgan Moses is on a short-term contract. Uh, their tackles have struggled. Ronnie Stanley with injuries and then Villanueva retired. Um, so I, I think that's a good future starter pick. And then they drafted two tight ends, uh, Charlie Kohler from Iowa State and Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. They combined for 15 touchdowns and over 1,500 yards last year. The Ravens love their tight ends, especially to use them in the in the run game for blocking, and then they use them over in the middle of the field. I mean, just look at Mark Andrews. Both of those guys got to work on the run blocking. But I definitely can see them making some impact this year for the Ravens offense, especially now the Hollywood Brown has been traded. One of my other big winners, the New York Jets, they had the fifth worst scoring offense. So getting two absolute playmakers and, and starters and Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall was great. Brees Hall, um, he had Jonathan Taylor-like stats in college, um, and he played one less year. Um you know, Brees Hall, not, you know, and and they played the same amount of years, but Brees Hall's freshman year is not nearly as great as Jonathan Taylor. Brees Hall had over 3,000 yards the last two years, 46 total touchdowns, 41 rushing touchdowns, 300 receiving yards last year with three receiving touchdowns. He got close to 4,000 yards in his career. Uh, so, listen, Michael Carter missed a few games last year, but, you know, the Jets running back depth isn't great, uh, and, and their running backs last year were not, like anything special. I mean, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson. Um, yeah, that, that's not fantastic. So I think Brees Hall, Michael Carter, that's a good one-two combo. I don't know how the Jets are going to split touches between the two. 
my, the way I see it is I think Brees Hall will get the majority of the carries. And I think Michael, Michael Carter will get the majority of the receptions. But I think both of them will both get carries and receptions. But I think Brees Hall is a home run pick for the Jets, uh, who have really struggled to run the football for the last decade. Uh, I thought Garrett Wilson was a great pick for the Jets. Um, big play receiver, averaged over 15 yards per catch last two years. Savvy route runner. Listen, Zach Wilson needed another playmaker on the outside. If you want a quarterback to succeed, you got to have a good offensive line and got to give them weapons. Um, you know, Corey Davis had some injuries last year, but he's still good. I love Elijah Moore. I thought he started to really come on last year before he got hurt. Now you add in Garrett Wilson along with Braxton Berrios. That's a solid four, and they're all young. And then you add in the two running backs. And then Jermaine Johnson, uh, future starter. Um, what can I say? Uh, rode the bench at Georgia, and then he went to Florida State and had a great year, turned himself into a first-round pick. And Sauce Gardner, what do I? What can I say? He didn't allow a single touchdown in college. That speaks for itself. I think he's their next Darrell Revis. Philadelphia Eagles, uh, yeah, another winner. A.J. Brown, uh, electric wide receiver. And they're all in on Jalen Hurts. That's what that trade says to me. They're giving Jalen Hurts all the tools to be successful as a starter next year. Uh, and I think Jalen Hurts is on a, is on an audition. He's, he's making an audition. Um, I think if he doesn't – if Jalen Hurts can't get them into the playoffs, I think they're moving on. But I don't think – if Jalen Hurts doesn't win a playoff game this year, he doesn't have to win the division. But if he does – if they miss the playoffs or don't win a playoff game, they got to move on. I, I, I've never been a big fan of Jalen Hurts. I don't think he's got the arm strength or the accuracy to be – a high-level starter. He proved last year he can win games, and they built their offense around his strengths, and they ran the football. But we all know that teams that are run-centric, those teams don't win anymore. You, Yes, you need to be able to run the football, but you, but you need high-level quarterback play to truly be successful in today's NFL. Uh, but A.J. Brown will give them a better chance, especially on the perimeter where they've really struggled to drop wide receivers the past few years. I thought Jordan Davis might have been one of the best picks of the draft. Um, some people thought it was a weird fit, but you know, Fletcher Cox is getting, you know, getting up there in age. Uh, Brandon Graham is older. Jerron Hargrave is, is in the last year of his contract. Uh, Jordan Davis is a freak athlete, draws constant double teams. And the Eagles were one of the bottom five worst teams last year in sack production. Jordan Davis will allow all the Eagles pass rushers to have success. Just like a Georgia, everyone's going to focus so much. Everyone's going to have so much energy focused on Jordan Davis in the middle that it's going to allow one-on-one opportunities on the outside. And that's the kind of player he's going to be. His pass rush potential is untapped. I think if he's coached up, he could, you know, maybe not 10 sacks a year, but, you know, five, eight, nine sacks, you know, similar to Fletcher Cox. Uh, Nicobe Dean, one, I think biggest deal to draft potentially. Future captain, uh, he's, he's so good. I watched Georgia play every game last year, and he was their best player on the field, really stood out the most, even more than Jordan Davis and number one overall pick, Trevon Walker. Um, he reads plays so well, lightning quick in space. He's a little on the smaller side, and he's had some injuries. But this guy's tough. He's a leader. Everyone in that Georgia defense respected him and listened to him. This is a steal for the Eagles, who have not had dynamic linebacker, linebackers in the past decade. Chiefs, uh, I thought the Chiefs had a really good draft. Uh, you know, They made the most of that Tyree kill trade. Um, they drafted three corners. They added a pass rusher, a safety and a wide receiver, all positions and neither defense was 
pretty bad last year, below average. But I think, you know, the top five in passing yards allowed, top, bottom five in sacks. I, I thought they had a absolutely home run draft. Um, so, you know, the Chiefs did a great job. I thought they addressed their defense significantly. And I think Sky Moore, uh, he won't be Tyree Kill, but he's dynamic. 1,200 yards last year, 10 touchdowns, super fast. Uh, I think, you know, listen, Patrick Mahomes is going to have success with anyone he's throwing to. I don't think Tyreek is as good as people say. He's definitely a top 10 receiver. But, you know, I, I think moving on from that, and I thought their team got much better. Now, it, it remains to be seen if how how impactful these rookies are going to be for them. But I will say, I think they're a better team today than they were after they lost to the Bengals in the AFC Championship game at home. And then I'll say the Seahawks. I think finally the Seahawks addressed their offensive line. Got two, one starting tackle for sure next year, and then a tackle from Washington State that could turn into a starter in a couple years. You got a dynamic running back, Kenneth Walker. Uh, 1,600 yards, 18 touchdowns last year, 6.2 yards a carry. Uh, Chris Carson's had, a, had an injury history the past few years. Rashad Penny had a good, got really hot down the stretch last year, but has been unreliable and injured. So I thought that was a good pick. And then they took two high upside corners, Kobe Bryant and Tariq Wooten. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll loves his sec corners, and the Seahawks secondary last year was awful. Um, so I think those are huge, huge hits for the Seahawks as well. Losers, Patriots, Cowboys, both teams, a lot of reaches, a lot of projects, uh, no difference makers. Patriots drafted a quarterback. I don't really get it for either team. Washington football team. I thought Howe had was good value in the fifth round, but they drafted two Alabama players. Like one was a defensive tackle. Why would you draft a defensive tackle? Your your defensive line is loaded with young talent. Brian Robinson could be good, but he wasn't. He was one of the few Alabama running backs that I just wasn't impressed with. I mean, between Derrick Henry and uh, Mark Ingram and Najee Harris, I, Kenyon Drake, like this guy just didn't impress me at all. Whenever I watched Alabama play, he just never stood out. And I thought that was a bit of a reach. 49ers, uh, they reached they reached for an LSU running back they don't need. They didn't really have a, a, a contingency plan for Debo. I mean, there's no guarantee that Debo is going to play for them next year. I would assume they're not going to trade him. And they said they're not going to trade him. There's no guarantee he plays or if they're going to pay him. So not they drafted one ride receiver at SMU, but I would have thought that they would have done a little bit more to address that area on the team. Even, even if Debo comes back, I mean – Brandon Ayuk's been up and down. You really don't have any playmakers on the outside. Um, and I don't think they addressed their interior offensive line or their secondary. Their secondary has been probably the worst part of their team in the past few years. I thought, given the picks that they had, I, I didn't think they maximized opportunities. And then the Titans, not a fan of Traylon Burks. Um, And then the A.J. Brown trade, that hurts. You know, Ryan Tannehill's average. You need you need to give him dynamic playmakers. Now, no A.J. Brown, no Julio Jones. Derrick Henry's coming off a season-ending injury. Um, there, you know, uh, so, yeah, I, I just, I don't I don't love it. But Mike Vrabel's a great coach. Um, you know, they'll be relevant next year, but they're not a Super Bowl team. Uh, let me focus on NBA first round. I should break down quickly of each series. Heat Hawks, um, you know, simply put, the Heat played great against Trey Young. I mean, Trey Young had one good quarter all series. That was the fourth quarter of game three. Um, you know, he made the game winning floater. 
and uh, he made some big shots in the fourth quarter. But that series was not really not competitive at all. Uh, the Hawks got blown out in game four. They lost to the Heat in game five with no Jimmy Butler or Kyle Lowry. They got blown out in the first two games in the second half. Um, Trey Young, 31 turnovers in five games, shot below 30% from the field, three out of the five games. Jimmy Butler was incredible, averaged 37 and five, including 45 in game two, 36 in game four, the two biggest games of the series. Um, and despite Bam and Hero struggling and Lowry missing games four and five, the Heat's depth was impressive. Gabe Vincent, Struess, um, you know, Caleb Martin, Dwayne Dedman. You know, they all came up with some big shots and some big moments. Give the Heat a lot of credit. And so far through the semifinals, the Sixers, the Heat are dominating. I know there's no Joel Embiid, but they are dominating. Absolutely dominating Philly inside. James Harden looks old, doesn't look like his old self. And that's really causing problems for Philly. They're struggling to make shots. Jimmy and Bam are, are playing great. Tyler Hero is playing very confident right now after a rough first series. I think the Heat are going to knock out Philly in five. I don't think they're going to sweep them because I think Philly will play desperate and win at least one of the next two home games. But I think it's over. I think the Heat in five. Celtics Nets. Uh, Nets, 61 turnovers in the series. Terrible. Durant was really inefficient. Got to give the Celtics a lot of credit for that. They, they got really physical with Durant. Forced him off his spots. He had to earn every shot he got. Uh, they made it. They made it hard for him. And even in Game Four, when he had 39 points, he was 13 for 31. Excellent execution by the Celtics defense. Kyrie was a non-factor outside of Game One with 39 points. Celtics defense was incredible. They threw a lot of bodies at those two guys: Jalen Brown, Tatum, Pritchard, Marcus Smart, Grant Williams, Al Horford, Daniel Tice, Robert Williams when he came back. You know, for games three and four, they threw a, Derek White. They threw everybody at those two guys. They made them work for everything. And the Celtics just took advantage of the Nets, who played no defense, and they just got really physical with them. And, and I think the biggest key for that series was the Celtics always had an answer, especially in games three and four. You know, every time the, the, the net, the Celtics started to pull away a little bit, you know, they'd go up nine, 10 points. You know, the Nets would come back, a 6 7 0 run. And then the Celtics would do something great, like an offensive rebound, layup, and or or a, or a steal, and then they would answer with five or six points of their own. Celtics always had an answer for the Nets, had that big comeback in Game Two, uh, and and really Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were terrific down the stretch of all four games, uh, and in, so far against the Bucks, Celtics got humiliated in Game One. You know, I thought the Celtics played scared in Game One at home of the East semis against Giannis, you know, you know, Giannis blocked Tatum early, like at some point in the first half. And from that point on Tatum only drove in the paint one more time. I thought they were scared of Brooke Lopez, Giannis and Bobby Portis. They were settling for too many threes and, and Giannis dominated inside. Uh, they played like champions in game one game two, uh, Celtics defense looked terrific. And Giannis had five points in the first half Celtics shot 45% from three. They made 23s franchise playoff record. But my only concern with the Celtics, they're settling for too many threes, okay? If it takes 20 threes to beat the Bucs, and I knew they blew them out, but say you cut that in half. I mean, that's a lot closer of a game, right? It's like a two-possession game. The Celtics need to attack more. I know the ref, the refs are calling it tight right now. They're not, they're not calling a lot of fouls in the paint. But the Celtics cannot be scared. they got to go at these guys. 
because they can't, they're not going to shoot like that from three the rest of the series. Okay. If they can shoot 35 to 40%, that's a good game from three as a team, but they're not going to shoot like that again. And, and I doubt Jalen Brown, it get, it scores, you know, 25 in the first half again in this series. So um, as impressed as I was with their game to win, they got to be more aggressive and, and driving in the paint. Their rotations got to be a little bit more sound off the double teams on Giannis, which is something I really think they fixed going into game two. But they got they got to stop selling for threes. Okay, I don't mind if it's open, but you can't be forcing. You got to attack them because they're not going to shoot that great from three um, the rest of the series. Raptors, Sixers, um, Embiid. Raptors had no answer for him. Average 26 and 11. And then the others had great games. Maxi 38 in game one, 23 in game two, 25 in game six. Tobias Harris had 26 in game one, 20 in game two. Man, Van Vliet was a non-factor for pretty much the whole series. Uh, Siakam was extremely inefficient. Um, e- even in the Raptors' two wins, they weren't efficient. And, um, you know, Siakam struggled for most of the series. I thought the Raptors really well coached. They play really hard, but they just don't have a go-to guy. And I think Siakam's that guy, but Siakam's just a really good player. Fringe all-star, but he's, he's no superstar. And when you don't have a superstar on the other team does, good luck. Um, Bucks, Bulls, DeRozan dropped 41 in game two. But after that, he attempted 56 shots in the first two games, 39 in the next three. I think the Bucks told us that um, listen, we're going to force the other guys to beat us. Uh, they took DeRozan out of the game and turned him into a playmaker. Unfortunately, his teammates couldn't hit shots. And the only game they won, the Bulls shot 45% from three. And their four losses, they shot under 30% each time. Once the Bucks went big, they had no answers. Once, And, you know, it's crazy to say, but, like, Middleton getting hurt might have been a blessing in disguise because the Bucks found a lineup that is giving the Celtics problems and making them scared to go in the paint. And they just crushed the Bulls' hopes when they were in Chicago with Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, and Yas on the floor together. Uh, Portis can shoot through both Lopez and Brooke and Portis can shoot threes. Uh, they can all defend the rim and they can all block shots. I think that's great. And then Grayson Allen averaged 20 points, games three through five. Um, you know, Portis averaged 15 games three through five. Uh, dominant response for the Bucks after losing game two at home. Suns Pelicans. I was extremely impressed with the Pelicans. Um, you know, in their in the Suns' two losses, Chris Paul shot under forty percent um, for twenty one combined points games two and four. Um, you know, it you know Chris Paul averaged 22, 11, and four assists. Um, you know, but Chris Paul was incredible, right? Game six, fourteen for fourteen from the field. I mean, you're never going to see that again. I mean, that is. That, that just never happens. Um, he was absolutely clutch, you know, and uh, game one, he had 30 points, shot 75% from the field and game, you know, in game three, 28 points. And, you know, most of that came in the fourth quarter. You know, Chris Paul really came up in the biggest games of the series. You know, game one's a tone setting game. Uh, game three tied 1-1 on the road. Big response against a young team with an energetic crowd. And then, in the, and then in the clincher, 32 points on perfect shooting from the field and from the free throw line. And that was with no Devin Booker for games three through five uh, and Booker being ineffective in game six. Chris Paul carried them to that win. 
Uh, DeAndre Ayton obviously had some big games as well. Averaged 20 and 9, 28 in game three, 22 in game six, the clincher. I think the key for the, I think what really hurt the Pelicans was CJ McCollum was extremely inefficient for most of that series, as was Brandon Ingram in games five and six, who also had 11 turnovers in those two games after averaging 30. Uh, I, I think in the first few games, I think the Pelicans got a bright future. I mean, I feel like they are maybe the Memphis Grizzlies of this year. I feel like they could jump into a top four or five seed next year, assuming Zion comes back healthy. Brandon Ingram is a player that no one talks about, but he really came into his own in this playoff run. I think McCollum's a great leader for them. Valanchunas played great. Um, Jose Alvarado, Trey Murphy, um, Herbert Jones, all young guys with a lot of energy and can all play defense. So I think the Pelicans have a bright future. Uh, looking at the Grizzlies and Timberwolves, I mean, I'm just going to say this real, real point blank. The Timberwolves gave this series away. I mean, they blew so many big leads. They blew a 26 point deficit in game three, multiple 20 point leads. Uh, they blew a, they almost choked in game four, blew a 10, 15 point lead and held on to win, blew a 13 point lead with 10 minutes left in game five loss, and then blew a 10 point lead coming into the fourth quarter, four shots, untimely turnovers. Desmond Bain was incredible. Average 24 points, 46% from three. And even though jaw was not very efficient from the field, he averaged 10 assists and uh, 10 assists and eight rebounds. Warriors, Steph, Clay, and Poole, <laughs> they all averaged over 20 points. They all shot over 40% from three, and they all shot around 50% from the field against the Nuggets. You know, Nikola Jokic was incredible, but he had no help from anybody. Um, and the Warriors just shot better from three in the field and had less turnovers. And then the Jazz, um, one of the best three-point shooting teams all season, shot horribly from, the, from three as a team. Don was inefficient. And really, quite frankly, the best player in the series might have been Jordan Clarkson for the Jazz. Jalen Brunson was incredible, and they had timely threes. Thanks for listening to the Get a Grip podcast.